Welcome to the Just Write Show, where you'll explore the world of the written word, from books to blogs, sales copy to screenplays, emails to essays, and everything in between. You'll discover the tips, tricks, and tactics the most successful writers in the world use every day. And now, here's your host, Travis Cody. Welcome to another episode of the Just Right Show. This is Travis Cody, and today I am here with John Chancellor. So excited to have him on. This is going to be a very unique episode in that John Chancellor is one of the top reviewers on Amazon. And anyone who has a book on Amazon, reviews can be one of the most mysterious things for you as an author. And today we're going to delve behind the scenes and look at about that a little bit. John Chancellor has over 40 years experience working in financial management with small business owners. He was living and working in New Orleans in 2005 when this little thing called Hurricane Katrina happened to wipe out the city as well as 50% of his clients and 80% of his revenue, not to mention just devastating the city. So when he started over, he wanted a business which was not limited to a small geographic area, didn't require any physical location, had no significant fixed overhead costs, needed no staff, and provided a valuable service to the people that he worked with. And so he became a coach and a mentor. Today, he's worked with hundreds of individual business owners in the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, England, Scotland, Ireland, Italy, Israel, and even Costa Rica. John's always been an avid reader, and he was one of the earliest adopters when Amazon first started encouraging buyers to post reviews on the books they purchased on Amazon. And after his second or third review, he noticed he was ranked somewhere just above 1 million in the reviewer ranking, and he thought, huh, I wonder if I could break into the top 100,000. So after he achieved that goal, he reset it, and then he became a top 50,000, and then he was in the top 10,000, and finally he reached the top 1,000. Eventually, he reached the rank of 232 which is quite something when you realize that there are over 64 million unique reviewers on Amazon. Eventually, he noticed he was getting diminishing returns, so he backed off a little bit, and now he's dropped down the ranks. But at one point in time, he was in the top 300 of 64 million. So, John, thank you so much for being on the show today. A pleasure to be with you, Travis. What a fascinating background and journey to becoming a top reviewer on Amazon? <laughs> um, well, um, I often tell people that uh, being a top reviewer and four bucks can get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But the truth is it gets you a lot more. <laughs> hey, it gets, it gets you interviews on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I used to have a f very hefty budget for books. I would spend quite a bit of money on books because I've always been an avid reader. I probably buy one or two books a year now. I still read <laughs> 50 books, uh, 50, 75 books a year, wow. uh, but they're all provided uh, by um, uh, PR publishing companies. Amazon actually provides some. Arthur's provide some directly. Um, um, so that's, that's a real so benefit. So Amazon itself will send you books. Um, yes, there's a special program that Amazon has for reviewers. It's called Amazon Vine. It's um, by invitation only. They not only send me books, they send me um, products. I got four different products this morning. Um, set of wow. washcloths, um, um, a, a battery starter, emergency battery starter for your car, um, 
Uh, and there were a couple of other things. I haven't opened the packages yet, but uh, yes, they are extremely active, um, proactive in um, encouraging reviews for different products and books. That's amazing. Well, it's kind of nice that Amazon is finally sort of, uh, I know that this whole concept of buying reviews on Amazon has been sort of a thorn in their side for the last however many years. So it sounds like they've created a program for the legit people to get good reviews. They're legitimate. Right. And and now they prohibit, um, I, um, they prohibit, um, anybody doing a review for a fee. Uh, and if I get a book from an author, um, on the terms of service for Amazon, I'm required to disclose that I got that book for free. And so the last line of most of my reviews are, I was provided a review copy of this book. Um, So I I disclose that. If I have a personal relationship with the author, I have to disclose that. And if I have too close a business relationship, I'm really not allowed to review the book. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, You know, (laughs) the the thing is, is like me as a, Someone shopping on Amazon, if I see a review and it's from someone who says, hey, I was provided a review copy of this product, like, I don't have any issues with that because look how things have worked for the last 50 years. News stations and reporters get sent stuff and then on the air, they're like, oh, I got to sent this thing to try it out and let's take a look. So mm-hmm. we get that that's the way it works. I would rather have you say, hey, I was given a free copy to give a review versus, hey, someone paid me $100 (laughs) to review that. Because then you're like, all right, now that's uh, that's suspects. But uh, so anyway, so I mean, reaching 232 at one point in time, it's remarkable. I mean, that's what a crazy uh, feat to to achieve. (laughs) It it is a um, well, I I think the thing that. if somebody started out today, it would be a lot harder. I started uh, 15 years ago when Amazon first, and I, I didn't have a goal to become um, in the top. Um, it, you know, it wasn't a life goal or something like that, but uh, I was a avid re- reader and I posted reviews. And if you re- recall, Amazon started out selling books. That was their primary product. Now yeah. books are insignificant <laughs> compared to all the other things they sell. But I was reading um, 50 books a year and posting 50 reviews a year. And um, um, it is a goal of everybody to, every author, publisher, um, publicist to get reviews. And so people started noticing and sending me things and it it just kind of... um, it wasn't something that I set out to do. It was something that just evolved. I was at the right place, the right time. And I did it over a long period of time. Right. Well, so the main thing there is, is what I tell every author, and I've repeated this story many, many times, which is just small steps every single small day, steps. but it's the consistency. Absolutely. And, uh, even um, So my, my favorite story is with John Grissom when he started his career, he was working 70 plus hours a week as an attorney. And so Mm -hmm. you would think, oh, there's no way this guy could write. And I remember him making, he posted an article in the New York Times about his career and his advice to writers. And he said, look, I just had one goal when I was working as an attorney. I wrote one page a day. Wow. And most people, most authors would think, oh my God, there's, if I just do one page a day, I'm never going to finish. But 
when you look at that and realize most books are what? 225 to right. 275 at least fiction books <laughs> so by him writing one page a day he's essentially writing a complete novel every single year and if you look he's been writing for about 26 years and i think he has 25 books wow and, and you realize like 25 books and it, it's just one page, like how hard is it to write one page a day two 300 <laughs> words but well, you know it's the idea it's so small it seems insignificant so uh, it's like you said you, you were already reading the books and so you'd leave a review and you know most people think oh one re review a week that doesn't do much but over time like you said it added up and, and there you were and then it snowballed people started to see you and you started getting more books and there you go right. so being in the top 500 what has what are some of the insights that's given you about amazon and and how that how the review system actually works? How beneficial is it? Well, I, I would say that for the listener to stop and think a moment and just consider how much Amazon spends on supporting the review system. Now, you probably have no, I, I have no hard data on this. I don't think there is any, but I would say it's north of um, 15, 20 million a year supporting the review system. That means it's, and by that, there's over 64 million unique reviewers. And so there's, you've got the storage data, you have some sort of um, uh, automated program that reads the reviews that everybody posts and kicks out some that don't comply and somebody has to look at that. Uh, you have questions that are sent in. So from that standpoint, Amazon, values these very highly because it um, allows, it, it facilitates the sales of products and uh, books, products, everything else. Um, when you think about it, when you, when you think about buying a book, um, you don't know if that book is good or not until after you've finished it. You don't know if it is going to satisfy the needs um, if you're a prospective buyer, you don't know if it's going to satisfy the, what you're looking for until after you've bought it and read it. And that can damper sales. But when you can go on Amazon and look at um, uh, 15, 20 reviews and people say a variety of different things, um, then you're much more confident about making that buying decision. Um, and truthfully, not only with books, with almost anything now, I prefer Amazon because I can look at the, a much wider variety of products. I can see what actual users say about it. So I, I think that um, people underestimate the part that reviews had in Amazon's success. Mm, that's true. So is there sort of a magic number for books in terms of reviews obviously if i'm i'm going and i'm shopping for a book and i see a book uh, let's say i'm i don't know off the top of my head i want to know more about how to create great youtube videos and so mm -hmm. i'm looking for books on that and i i come in and obviously i see five books four of the books have 15 or 20 reviews but one of the books has 500 I'm, like immediately I'm going to look at the one at 500 and perceive <laughs> that as being more, but is there sort of a, 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 a point where 
things seem to pick up a little bit more for the book. Like if I have a book and it's got 25 reviews or if it hits 50 reviews or if it hits a hundred reviews, then, then it's treated differently in the Amazon ecosystem where it gets more well, exposure. Uh, uh, obviously Amazon's primary purpose is to sell books and they don't really care <laughs> whether they're selling um, uh, a book uh, from Travis Cody or John Grisham. They want to sell books. But uh, they have their um, programs that uh, decide on what are popular, and reviews are one of the things that are come into account. And so I think you have to look at reviews and time the book has been on the market. If I look at a book that's been on the market for two weeks and it's only got um, 10 reviews, that doesn't concern me. If it's been on the market for a year and got 20 reviews, is something's wrong. And now, now there can be two things wrong um, with a book um, only having 20 reviews. Um, one, it can have, it can be a bad book or, or not a good book or not an outstanding book. And the other thing it can have is poor marketing. There are two, um, one of the things I learned with uh, reading so much and being an active reviewer is that I've seen, I've read some books that were fantastic and they just didn't sell much. And then I read some books that were eh, ho-hum and they sold like, <laughs> you know, there was a fire sale on them. So the magic number for me is um, if it doesn't have more than 50 reviews after it's been on the market for uh, six months or so, then something's wrong. And it could be that the author um, doesn't know how to market the book. And I, I find that true with most. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot of noise and most authors are writers. They're not marketers. <laughs> that, that's correct. Most, most authors think that when they um, uh, finish the book and, you know, have it go through the edit process, their job is done. Um, I think it's just starting because if, if you truly want to get your, message out, you've got a tremendous marketing job. So uh, again, what I've learned is that um, reviews are crucial um, because it, just like you said, if you look and there's uh, four books and one of them has 500 reviews and the other uh, three have 50, you're going to look first at the uh, one with 500 reviews. If it satisfies your needs, you're going to click the buy button and you're going to be gone. That reminds me what you're just saying about, you know, some books are not great and they're selling like hotcakes and uh, of the, there's a Robert Kiyosaki story that he tells author of rich dad, poor dad. Mm -hmm. And he was in Japan and he was being interviewed by a journalist over there. And, and all of her questions were about writing and how he sold so many books. And then, so finally she said, what advice would you give me if I wanted to be a best-selling author like you? And he said, quit your job as a journalist and go get a job in sales. <laughs> Absolutely. She, she got so offended and she was so like, what I'm not a salesperson. And he's like, look, it says Robert Kiyosaki, best selling author. It doesn't say Robert <laughs> best Kiyosaki, <writing. laughs> best written author. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so I was like, that really, for me, really framed. Um, I was in the middle of my first book when that came out. And uh, for me personally, I, well, it's not me. I'm sure every author this way is you, the, the sense of perfectionism of like my book has to be perfect before I can let it out. And by the time I got done with my second book, I realized there's the concept of a 
it's good enough. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because it doesn't matter how much time or money you spend on it. There's always going to be something in there that after you publish it and gets printed that you're like, how did we miss that thing on page three? It's on page three. <laughs> um, you would be surprised. I tend to be, um, I, I read so much that I tend to notice, um, I call them glitches. Um, there could be typos, spelling errors, miss word use, um, and it could, sometimes could be factual errors. But I don't think I've read, ever read a book that I didn't notice some handful of glitches in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, just... and I don't think you can be concerned about that. No, I don't think you can either. That's that's not what I'm reading for. I'm not. <laughs> that's not what the average person is looking for. They're looking for entertainment, education, um, uh, aspiration, um, inspiration. They're not looking uh, uh, for the best um, uh, English grammar product. They're looking for a specific need. Right. So don't get don't get uh, too um, wrapped up in. Uh, um, the, the, those little glitches, they're going to happen. And I've seen some extremely uh, high level authors coming from big publishing houses, have some things that just embarrass them. <laughs> I'm sure. All right. So let's talk about then about the best strategies authors can use for getting reviews. There's tiers here. There's obviously just getting reviews from whoever you can. And then there's also getting reviews from someone in the top 500. And even though there's no data on this, I would suspect that reviews from reviewers in the top 500, probably even the top 1,000, do have a little more weight than a, a normal unverified review and probably over even just a regular verified review. So let's, first off, let's just talk about reviews in general. Like what are some strategies authors can use to just start getting some reviews coming in? Okay, so the first thing I want to say is who can post a review on Amazon? Because a lot of people do not know who is eligible. You have to have an Amazon account and you have to have purchased at least $50 worth of merchandise through that account, not, not counting electronic gift cards. Um, and this is part of Amazon's um, effort to make sure that the reviews are um, valid, uh, authentic reviews. Um, the second thing I would say is that when people, when most people, when the average person thinks of a review, they have a kind of a nightmare about their uh, ninth grade um, English teacher asking them to do a book uh, report. <laughs> And they um, think that they have to um, write a book report as opposed to a review. Or the other thing is they think they need to say something uh, flattering about the author. Um, neither of those are true. Um, I think the, the most telling um, thing you can say about the uh, top rated reviewers is they're writing information that's going to help the buyer make a decision whether to buy that book or not. They're not trying to tell you the plot line. They're not trying to um, argue with the 
thesis of the book, um, they're trying to give a person an insight into whether that book is going to um, be what they need to buy or, uh, or not. So having, having said that, um, the overall advice I would give about getting a review is to ask and ask and ask and ask. Um, so, and, and don't be embarrassed about asking or bashful about asking. Uh, you have to ask in a lot of different ways. Um, if you're writing a book, you should put something in the book um, about some supplemental material that you're going to offer. Even if you're writing a fiction book, um, put something uh, in the in the book itself that that there's some background on the characters um, that they can get by sending you know requesting um, it from the author from the website. If you're writing a nonfiction book, uh, it could be a checklist. It could be um, uh, anything, but give the reader something that they can request from you. When they do, guess what? You've got access to their email. You can provide them that and ask for a review. A couple of weeks later, you can send them another email and um, give them some information and ask for a review. Now, one of the things I would do is um, give them some little tips about writing a review, that it doesn't have to be um, a recap of the book. It doesn't have to um, be the ninth grade book report that your English teacher required. Um, just just um, give them some tips. And one of the tips that I would include is in the review, always include the title of the book and the name of the author. Um, that's for search um, purposes. Because if somebody goes on Google and searches for the book, um, you, you you want it would be helpful for that for that review to come. It's up. interesting because I would have never thought about that, but that's so true. Instead yeah. of saying I read this book and I think the author did a great job, just I read you, the you, title you, of, <laughs> uh, and and but yeah, I'm just sitting here right now thinking like, oh yeah, I, there's there's been several times when I've Googled searched something and the first thing that comes up is an Amazon review, and I've right. never I never right. really thought about why that was. It, it came up because the reviewer put the <laughs> name of the book and the author's name. And there, there are a couple of other things that you, I, I don't think we want to get into SEO um, stuff, but you want to put some keywords um, about um, some specific words that, that um, are, are pertinent to the book relative to the book. Um, again, just for search, if, if you're, um, a book on diet, you want to talk about different type of diets or uh, paleo diet or vegan, vegan diet or whatever. Uh, put some of those words in there that, that relate to the book because it helps with search. Okay. Go yeah. Ahead. So that's step one, uh, just putting something in the book that gives people uh, an incentive to go sign up or give them your email. And then mm -hmm. using your email list to ask reviews. And I, I'm, I'm assuming for fiction authors especially, that's also a great way to start having uh, books that eventually release in, in, at the bestseller list because you build a list of 1,000 or 2,000 fans and you say, hey, my new book is out. Go get it. Absolutely. Uh, I think that that, that is a, 
a smart marketing tactic? Absolutely. So the next uh, tactic I would use is um, your book is in a certain uh, category, genre. Um, so identify five or six, maybe even 10 current books that are similar to your book. Go on Amazon, look at those books, look at the reviewers. And when you see the name of the reviewer, you can click on that reviewer and it will bring up their profile. Um, look at their profile. They, you, you will be able to see their reviewer rank. Uh, there probably is a little description. My description says I will not, I don't, I don't read fiction books. I will not read digital, read or review digital books. Please don't even ask. Um, but if you find the books that are similar to yours, look at the reviewers and you just put your mouse on the, um, on the reviewer's name, click on it and they'll bring up their profile. Um, you can identify the reviewers that are active reviewers. Uh, oftentimes they will provide their email address in their profile. Um, then you need to send them, um, email and invite them to review your book. Uh, and I, I, I think Travis that I provided you a, a, a template um, that, that maybe your listeners can, can get access to. But um, the main thing is, uh, hey, I, I saw that you reviewed a book similar to mine. Give them a reason why you're writing them. Don't just say that you um, are contacting them um, randomly because it, that's not going to do any good. Uh, I get three or four offers a day. So if, 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 if there's not a good reason for contacting me, it ain't going to work. Um, so just uh, saying like, hey, Mr. Top Reviewer, will you please grace me with a review? That, that's not a good strategy. That's not a good strategy. <laughs> uh, say, I noticed that you, you reviewed Good to Great, and I really was impressed with um, your insights that you shared with people. I have written a similar book, and I was wondering if you would um, uh, like a review copy. You're under no obligation um, uh, to post a review, but if you will send me your, tell me your preferred um, format and send me your address, I will be happy to provide it. Now, um, I get extremely aggravated with people that ask me, are asking me to spend six or eight hours reading their book, spend another hour writing a review, and they're not willing to send me a hard copy or a, a, a physical copy. They, they offer a PDF or a digital copy. Um, reviews are very valuable. Don't be chinchy about spending um, uh, $10 or $12 to send a copy of a book to a reviewer. If, if they're good, um, their review is worth 10 times that to you. Do you think a lot of reviewers re prefer the physical copy over an ebook? Um, it, it probably depends somewhat on their age. <laughs> that is to say that I grew up uh, reading before um, you had Kindle. I, I have a, I don't know, 50 books in the Kindle, but um, I rarely 
finish a Kindle book, I almost always finish the um, uh, physical copies. Uh, it's just the way I learned to read um, uh, the younger people. But my, my point is that you give the reviewer the choice. Don't say that, that you'll only send, say, tell me your preference and I'll be happy to send it to you. Um, again, I don't think you, if you're wanting reviews, don't let um yeah, Give them as many bucks. options as possible. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but don't let 10 or 15 bucks uh, stand between you and um, um, getting a good review. That's, that's fantastic. All right, so to review, we want to look at books in my possibly you know, let's say competitor books for, mm -hmm. for lack of a term find five to ten find the reviewers and that seem to have left good reviews click on their names look at their profiles and if they have an email those are the people that we'd want to be doing outreach for that that's that's correct and when we and email them we want to reference i saw you read such and such a book and i appreciated the insights that you left on xyz I've written a similar book and I would love to provide you with a review copy of that book if you're interested. And then uh, I, you know, I can send you a, a physical copy or a PDF copy, which is ever the most convenient. That's so if, I, if we don't get a response right away, like how many times would be appropriate um, to email a reviewer? Until they tell you to bugger off, <laughs> go away, um, leave me alone. I, 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 I generally will, uh, most of the time people will send me a, a um, follow-up email and say, I don't know if you saw my email. Um, I, I would send at least one follow-up. I, I, I think you ought to be realistic and say that you're probably going to get five or 10% compliance or acceptance. Um, you're, you're not going to get 50 or 60% it's just um, good reviewers have more opportunities than they have time. I get three, four offers a day, <laughs> and I, I, I can read a book a week. So that means that um, I've, I've got about um, uh, 5%. I can take about 5% of the books I get offered. Wow. You're getting five a day. I can see... <laughs> see why uh why that is yeah and and most um and the the other thing i would say is um i'm i have about four publicists that when an author goes to the publicist they're spending about twenty five thousand dollars to have that publicist promote their book wow and, and so i'm on their mailing list uh, I'm on Harvard um, book review mailing list. Um, so they reach out to me with books. So that means that, that if you're a, um, a high ranked reviewer, now I realize I'm in a, um, a bit of a special field in, in, in the sense that most of, most of the books I review are business, nonfiction, uh, business, um, uh, coaching, psychology, stuff like that. But um, it, it's it's they're, they're, that's a very narrow niche. Um, so I, I get way more than I can handle, and I get some very high quality stuff. So any, anybody that would be reaching out to me would um, 
it's a bit of an uphill battle, I have to be honest. So you just brought up something I never really thought of before. So obviously as a top reviewer, you're on mailing lists for like the Harvard book review. What, what are some of the bigger, um, more, I guess, established services? And would there be a way as, as, for me as an author to contact them? Like as, as a solo author, could I approach the Harvard book review and say, hey, I would love to pay you to send out an email requesting reviews for my book? Or is that a publicist only sort of domain? No, no, it's a publicist only. And, and they're really not going to um, do that. Uh, they, they work, um, they do, do a total promotion for books and, and they're charging, like I say, I think the starting fee for most of them is 25,000. Wow. And I don't think that makes sense for a, an um, uh, independent, um, I think you can spend your money uh, marketing the book yourself and do a much better job. I, I don't think the the publicists do a very good job um, <laughs> because they they're they're doing um, they're getting reviews, they're getting them on interviews, they're making um, uh, articles, getting write ups in different articles. I th I think the direct marketing approach, which I think you're more much more familiar with, the um, uh, doing the um, um, identifying the audience and what the need is and doing direct marketing to them is much more effective. Mm. My first book, I it was self-published and my second book, I actually had a publisher. And so I get asked quite a lot, should I go self-publishing or should I go with, with publishing or finding a publisher? And maybe even five years ago, there was some advantage to going with a publisher. But in my experience, like I, the only difference was I did get a small advance and they covered the cost of the actual editing, but I had to do everything else. <laughs> like I had to design the cover and the delay out. And, and then when it came to the marketing, I had to spend the exact same amount of money marketing for the publisher as I did my own self-published book. And the difference was with my book, I kept 70% of the profits and with the publisher, you know, I only kept like 10%. Right. Right. And um, so, so now I'm just like, I, 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 if I'm going to be spending that amount of money anyway, again, having a publisher at one point in time was like, Hey, we can get you in bookstores. But uh, okay. I was just, I was just talking to someone who, um, who lives in New York and is in the publishing industry. And they were just talking about how, you know, 2020 was a game changer for the, the, the publishing business. And that for the most part, in their opinion, you know, within the next few years, a literary agent for books, like that's going to be almost an extinct profession. Dinosaur. And, and they were also saying this, is something I didn't know is that a, a small hedge fund had actually bought Barnes and Noble and they've spent the last six months essentially gutting out the bookstores and they're moving into a very interesting new model, which is bookstores are no longer going to be a place where you go. That's filled with books. They're building them specifically as event spaces where authors go for book signings and writing uh, workshops and places for fans to meet, uh, reading clubs. And there will be some, uh, some books, but the vision for the future is, is that I go into Barnes & Noble and here's the latest Stephen King book on the bookshelf, right? But mm -hmm. there's only one copy. I can't buy that copy and go home with it. It's like Ikea. I take that copy to the front desk. They code it in and they say, okay, 
your book will be ready in an hour and they actually, it's just in time printed. printing in the back yeah. of the, I was like, <laughs> to me, that's phenomenal. And so they were saying that this, the, the, you know, the, the reason bookstores used to have the advantage was they could move books in bulk. They could move them in numbers and, and how, because of everything that happened in the beginning of 2020, that has changed the game entirely for the industry. And so now it, we really are moving into the world of self-published authors. And it's just like most businesses, the ones who are best at the marketing are going to be the ones who win the game. Absolutely. I, I would I would not entertain um, going with a publisher no matter what, because you give up the cover design, you give up the title um, selection, and there's the time. It takes so much longer. Um, there's so many advantages to self-publishing um, and with um, uh, the different um, print on demand now, uh, you, you can, you, you, 10 years ago, you had to invest um, quite a bit of money in um, first run production, not anymore. You, you can get your book published for just almost insignificant amount of money now. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's phenomenal. It, uh, it's the Arnold Schwarzenegger quote that he said he learned from Ted Turner. Early to bed, early to rise, work like hell, and advertise. <laughs> I love it, but but the 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 um, truth is that nobody really knows how good your book is until after they've read it, um, except for reviews. But um, the marketing um, is is the key. You have to have um, if you're planning on writing a book. I my advice to people is um, allocate fifty percent of your time effort whatever to writing and 50% to marketing. It's, it's, it's that important because it, uh, I, I, I don't know if you, I, I know you've heard the, um, the quotation, um, build a better mousetrap and the world will be to pass to your door. That was attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson. And even though I think he's probably one of the smartest people that ever lived, I think he was totally wrong. Because if you build a better mousetrap, but don't market it effectively, the mice are going to multiply. Um, it, it doesn't matter how good your book is without effective marketing, it's not going to um, get out to the audience. Makes sense. All right. So this has been fantastic. We've covered some very in-depth strategies on getting reviews. So let's talk about the success for writers in general. So you're, you're a, a mentor and a consultant and a coach. And in fact, uh, a while back, we had Glenn Livingston uh, on the show and we were having a discussion about how he, he, one of his books has got 5,000 reviews. And he mentioned on the show that you had worked with him. You were a mentor of his and that he credited a lot, uh, a lot of his success to the feedback that you've given. So for writers in general, not just in, in getting reviews, but in regards to getting out of their own way and completing the book or the books they have inside them and becoming successful at that. Uh, what are some blocks that you've seen over the years of working with people that writers will run into and how can they overcome those to, to find success that they're searching for? Well, uh, I, I think the first block is when you don't really have clarity about what you want to do and why you want to do it. And I always remember the uh, line from Alice in Wonderland where Alice asked the Cheshire 
cat, you know, which road should I take? And um, the cat said, you know, where do you want to go? And she says, it really doesn't matter. And he said, well, if you don't know where you want to go, doesn't matter which way you go. I think you have to know which way you want to go. I think you have to know why you want to write a book, what the book, who the book is going to serve. What's the purpose of the book? Uh, when somebody buys it, reads it, what are they going to get out of it? So I, I, the first step is being, and the, this is overarching. The first thing is to be extremely clear about what you're trying to do. And then equally important, why, why are you trying to do it? What is, what is the, what is the reason for this? What is it going to do for you? What's your motivation? Um, I worked with one, one author that, um, wrote a book and she probably sold a few hundred, you know, a couple hundred copies, but her motivation was, um, she wanted to have a book that she could give to her children. And that motivated her to finish the book. So the first thing to do is to, um, get clear about what you want to do and why you want to do it. The second thing to do is when you attack, and this is cliche, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? How do you write a book? One page at a time or one paragraph at a time or one sentence at a time. Don't try to write the whole book. Try to um, break it down. There are some, um, if you're writing a nonfiction book, there are some um, uh, really easy tips um, uh, that, that you should do. Uh, instead of staring at a blank piece of paper, um, write, if you're going to write a chapter, and let's say it's about diet, um, what food should you avoid? Um, write out 15 questions um, and then answer the questions, take the questions out, have a segue between the answers and you've got the, you've got the chapter. Um, so it's a lot easier to answer questions than it is to write from a blank page. So the, the uh, there's another tip and that is, um, you, you'll hear it often from writers is, um, don't try to write and be the editor at the same time. If you're writing, write, if you're editing, edit, um, but don't try to do both at the same time. It will slow you down. It will um, break your creativity. Uh, and, and there's an old saying that goes with it is get it down and then get it right. And by that, it means, you know, write, 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 then come back a couple of days later and edit. Um, don't, don't try to do both at the same time. Um, there's another thing that um, uh, I would suggest that uh, you do is um, Ernest Hemingway is said that he had a um, technique that he used that he never finished the scene when he was writing. So he's writing along and he's in the middle of a scene and it's time. It's getting time for him to stop. His, a lot of time was up. He stops in the middle of the scene. So the next day when he comes back, he doesn't have to sit down and think, where do I go from here? He's already in the groove of, of, of where to go. Um, there's the biggest, probably the biggest block for writers, anybody that's create, creative, 
is their writing is a reflection of themselves. You need to get over that. <laughs> um, people are not going to judge you nearly as critically as you think they are. Um, and, and those that do, those that are just um, critics, they're going to be critics anyway. Don't get wrapped up, stopped by what somebody's going to think about your writing. You're not writing um, um, for the people. You're writing for a particular audience, and that audience is going to accept what you write. Uh, if somebody that's not your audience picks it up, they're not going to like it. They're not going to approve it. Don't worry about them. They're not your audience. Write for your audience. Um, so, and be consistent. Um, the, the, there, there's a story about Jim Lohr. Um, he's a um, well-known author, um, head of a um, fitness uh, institute down in Florida that does a lot of training with the top um, athletes in the world. But the story was that in 2001, he had a contract to do a book with a major New York publishing firm. And he got a call in about October of 2001. And the editor said, Jim, um, you know what happened 9-11 and book sales have tanked and we generally don't hold authors to um, uh, the publication, you know, the schedule that, that tough, but this year um, the accountants are looking for, because book sales have tanked, um, people, the, the country's all upset, uh, nobody's reading, we're going to, we're being forced in, to hold you to the contract and it's due in May. And if you don't have the finished manuscript to us in May, um, you get to return that nice fee that we advanced you and um, the contract canceled. And at that time he had written 11 pages. So he had a little bit of pressure. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot of pressure. And the typical person would say, um, oh, I'm going to work, um, you know, get up early and work to midnight and, and, and work like the devil and get this done. He didn't do that. He set out three 90 minute periods a day, started at nine and worked till 1030, uh, started uh, uh, at 1130 and wrote to one, then from three to 430. And he told everybody in the house that unless there's a 911 call involved, I'm not to be disturbed. And he wrote 90, um, minutes a day, uh, three periods of 90 minutes a day. And he had the book finished in 90 days. Um, the, the, the whole point is set aside time and have a fixed time and then really do nothing but that. Don't, um, don't, oh, I've got to check my email. I've got to uh, go get a cup of coffee. I've got to do this. Uh, um, we tend to look for distractions. Um, you, you have to have a little bit of discipline. Um, if you're going I don't, to write, I don't even think we look for distractions anymore. I think we've <laughs> been, uh, you know, we could have a whole show on the conspiracy theories of uh, what big tech has purposely been doing <laughs> to our attention. So. Well, well, absolutely. 
I, I, well, yes, you're, you're, I, well, you know, not, well, not to go off on a tangent with what you're saying, but I, so I have my book that, uh, my 30 days unplugged book. And, uh, we sure. actually, I, I don't know if you saw Sean Parker, the, the uh, co-founder of Facebook, it was about a year and a half ago in a private meeting, they got it on video where he came out and said like, Hey, you know, I, my background is a computer hacker and, uh, being a hacker, you have to understand human psychology. And so when we built Facebook, we built it purposely to be addictive. It gives people sure. dopamine hits. And mm -hmm. I was just like, mm -hmm. wow. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't think you, I don't even think we have to look for distractions now. I think they uh, just sort of, uh, well, you know, it's more well, about how many shackles of distraction do we have? <laughs> well, what, what, what we do have to do is we have to make sure that we minimize those or get those, um, for that small period of time. So you turn your phone off, you turn your uh, notifications off on the computer, uh, email, all those notifications, all those little dings um, um, that, that distract you, you turn those off and really focus totally on your writing. And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be three 90 minute periods. Um, Jim was writing a book. Uh, if you spend 30 minutes a day, um, you could easily write a 200 page book. I, I say most people could easily write a 200 page book in six months, 30 minutes a day. And now that's really totally focused writing. That, that's not research, but, but before you set down to write, make sure you've got all your, um, everything you need, that there's no distractions. You're not going to have to do anything. Um, so I, I really do think that, you know, Aesop gave us that lesson um, some 2,500 years ago in the tortoise and the hare. Um, slow and steady wins the race. Just, um, you, you don't have to rush at it. As a matter of fact, if you act like the uh, rabbit, you're, you're going to lose. Um, um, and, and there's one other thing that I would, I would suggest, um, and this is from Gabriel Ottingen. Um, She's um, a psychologist and she has a program that, that she says she calls WHOOP, W-O-O-P, and it's Wish, wish uh, Outcome, Obstacle, Plan. And, and the big thing that she inserts is the obstacle. Before you start doing your book or anything else, think about the obstacles that you're going to incur. What's going to happen that's going to slow you down, get in your way, hold you back? And then develop an if-then plan for that. Um, if, if I get some negative feedback, um, if I get some naysayers talking to me, if I get people telling me that I shouldn't be writing a book, that um, books don't sell, that, that there's this, what, whatever the obstacles you can foresee, and you will not foresee all of them, but you need to have an if-then plan. And, and, and an if-then plan is simply, if X happens, this is what then this is what I'll do. This is the action I'll take. Um, if if you pre-plan these options, pre-plan by thinking about them, developing a way to um, minimize or mitigate those uh, negative things that happen, those uh, unwanted things, you'll be prepared. Instead of it, it, if you're totally unprepared, it hits you, it's going to be like running into a wall. If you planned on it, prepared for it, you can say, well, I prepared for this. This is what I do. And just go on. And 
there will be times when things will happen that will be extremely discouraging. Um, and, and it's the old Chinese um, proverb, um, get knocked down seven times, get up eight times. That's the only way you win is every time you have an obstacle, you, you get up and go back at it. That's it. Chuck Norris at one point in time, uh, somebody was asked him, I, I think he still holds the record if I'm not mistaken for being the, he's won more world championships, competitive championships than any other uh, fighter. Mm -hmm. And somebody was asking him about that. And he said that he's like, look, he's like, I, he's like, I, I'm not the greatest martial artist. Uh, I'm not the strongest. I'm not the fastest. I'm obviously not the biggest. He's like, in fact, most of the guys I go into are way bigger and way faster than me. And he's like, when I went into uh, every fight, he's like, I really only had one goal. And that goal was stand back up no matter what. Right. <laughs> and he said, and he talked about that. And he said, there was times where I was in so much pain from taking a blow that most people would stay down. He's like, but I developed this resolve that I would get up. And he's like, mentally, for my competitors, when they would tag me with something that they know was essentially a, a fight ending blow, and I would get back up. He's like, they would start to mess with their mindset. And he's like, right. and that's, he's like, and that's it. He's like, I just got up more than the other person. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that's the way it is with all this. I have um, a, f a client and a good friend who's very, very successful. By the time he was 35, he had bought and you know, built and sold uh, 12 multi-million dollar companies. I, I think from the time he was 21 or 22 to 35, his companies had generated about $150 million in, in revenue just fairly successful. And, and we had the conversation where he was saying, why is it that you can give two people the exact same training? Exactly. Step-by-step. Step. If you want to go from zero to a million dollars online, do A, B, C, D. Is that you can give that exact same training to two people and one person will be outrageously successful with it. And one, one person won't have any results at all. And he's mm -hmm. like, what is the difference? And he said, ultimately, it wasn't skill or talent or any of that. He said it came down to the mindsets, beliefs, attitudes, and philosophies that one person had over the other. And part of that was understanding what failure really was and realizing it was part of the journey that would push you forward. And I think, especially in today's world where everybody's overly sensitive about everything, uh, I find myself sometimes, even in my own writing, writing things and going, oh, my gosh. Could that be misinterpreted and somebody could get offended at it? But if you, if, if you get stuck in that mindset, like you'll, nobody will ever pet, uh, publish anything because somewhere out there, there's some person that's going to be offended at everything no matter what. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. And so the um, best thing to do is just to just realize that that's part of the path. And, and you know, your job is to your art and your passion and your gift. And that's what you need to focus on. Right. And one, one thing I will not do with my clients is I don't let them use the word failure. I make them reframe that as feedback. That's great. Awesome. Well, John, this has been a truly enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for the time and generosity with everything you shared to us today. If people are curious and about possibly working with you as a a coach if you are still accepting clients or want to get on the wait list or even be plugged <laughs> into what it is you're doing, what can they do to 
to get more information about you and what, what um, did you offer? They can, they can just send me an email, john at sgmemail.com, sgmemail.com. Um, that's Strategic Growth Mentors, um, SGM. Um, just send me an email, um, but um, it, it's, I, I, I like what you said about um, persistence. Uh, that I think that's the key to it. That it's some some people, a lot of people have the same opportunities, but the ones that um, just keep going in spite of the obstacles are the ones that win. So great, I, and I enjoy talking with you, and I hope that your audience gets some value out of. Uh, this. I'm pretty sure they will. This has been uh, fantastic. So I've already I've got a page and a half of notes here, and uh, <laughs> my review campaigns are strategically changing now. I can tell you that. So, Terrific. Well, thanks again right. for the time and uh, take care. Thank you. Hey, it's Travis Cody. Thanks for listening to The Just Right Show. And I want to make sure you're plugged into everything we've got going on. Go to TravisCody.com forward slash show and join the email list so you can get notified when new episodes come out. Plus, you can find links to the transcripts of every episode we've done in the past. You can also grab a free copy of my best-selling books that share even more details on how you can up-level your own writing skills. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, I'd consider it a personal favor if you'll leave me a review on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.